peeps? I'm Dave Rubin. This is the Rubin Report Direct Message for April 13th, 2021. There is an awful lot happening in the world. It sort of feels like the world is on fire right now, and in some cases, it literally is. So I will spend the next half hour of my life and of your life trying to make some sense of all of it. As always, click that subscribe button on YouTube and tap the old notification bell, and maybe, just maybe, you'll get our videos in your feed. Uh, We've got three stories for you. Obviously, the big situation is what's happening in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota right now. We're gonna get into that. You know, we covered it yesterday, and I really, really, really tried to give you an honest assessment. We played the actual video of the shooting. I tried to give a little context. You know, they're saying that the officer thought that she was holding a taser, not a gun. That is in no way an excuse because she was an officer for 26 years. And obviously at that point you would think there's enough training, but you know, you can't resist arrest and he tried to get away and then drive away. It's just like a whole freaking mess and everybody's gonna try to use this for their own political purposes, for clicks, for views, all of those things. I'm really, really gonna try to keep everybody calm about this thing, uh, but it, it ain't gonna get better anytime soon, unfortunately. And of course, this all comes with the backdrop of the George Floyd murder trial, which will wrap up you know, basically any day now. And we know that no matter what the outcome is gonna be with that, that there were gonna be riots. This is the new sort of meme in America. You know, No justice, no peace, but there is no justice. There's no there there when it comes to justice, except assembling, disassembling the entire state. So in effect, you say no justice, no peace. What you mean is no peace, because we wanna just take out everything. So it's gonna be a messy little while. And you know, for all the people, awful lot of my good, smart, wise, liberal friends, who said we just have to get rid of Donald Trump because then we can deal with this woke thing, then we can deal with all of these problems related to identity politics and how out of control the progressives have gone. I think at this point, uh, your mea culpa is coming. Like at some point here, little little apology or, well, not even an apology, just a little my bad, whoops, whoops. <laughs> Misjudge that one. Uh, because obviously none of this is getting any better. It's, it's all obviously getting worse and it's being pushed by our administration and it's being pushed by mainstream media or I should say corporate media. There you go, Michael Malice, there's your shout out. And uh, yeah, it's gonna be messy. So the three stories we're doing, we're obviously touching that one, I'll do that one second. First, uh, there is a slight warning on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine because of blood clots and I wanna just talk about it, sort of blue sky stuff related to that. Uh, because you know we keep being told like we can't do anything till there's zero COVID infections, but now we know that some of the vaccines are causing some blood clots. It's a very, very tiny amount. And again, I'm not doing it to be alarmist, but it's like, are we allowed to even talk about that? Are we allowed to talk about it? Or will that make me a conspiracy theory or an anti-vaxxer or something else? So uh, we're gonna do that up top, then we're gonna do uh, the Brooklyn Center stuff. And then finally, I had to do this story because this has been sort of a slow burn for three years, uh, but, Hank Azaria, who is the, I would say probably the best voice actor, the best voiceover guy that we have in America, maybe in modern times in the entire world, who has done probably 20, 30, maybe more. We could check how many voices has he done on The Simpsons. Uh, He is now apologizing for doing the voice of Apu. And over the last couple of years, you know, there was a documentary made about this, about how offensive that was, the character of Apu. And now Hank, 
is apologizing and he's not gonna do it anymore. Oddly, I don't think he's returning any of the money. He does make around $330,000 an episode to work for probably three hours to do a couple voices uh, and is worth roughly $90 million. Didn't say anything about returning any of the money, but uh, he's apologizing because obviously that's very racist and I wanna talk about that because The Simpsons at one time, it's about 30 years at this point, where, where they're in their like 30 second season. They're about, I would say 25 years past their peak, but it still exists as something relevant culturally and just to watch these guys like basically crap on the art that they created is just, it's just so terrible. Uh, okay, here we go. So let's talk about uh, what's going on with this Johnson & Johnson COVID vaccine situation. I'm gonna read you two tweets here. First from the FDA. Uh, today, FDA and the CDC issued a statement regarding the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine. We are recommending a pause in the use of this vaccine out of an abundance of caution. As of April 12th, 6.8 plus million doses of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine have been administered in the US. The CDC and FDA are reviewing data involving six reported US cases of a rare and severe type of blood clot in individuals after receiving the vaccine. Right now, these adverse events appear to be extremely rare, and we'll just unpack it a little bit more with this uh, piece that was in Fox News. There have been six reported cases of a rare and severe blood clot in over 6.8 million Johnson & Johnson COVID vaccine recipients. The type of blood clot is called cerebral venous sinus thrombosis, and that it was seen in combination with low levels of blood platelets. All six cases involved women between the ages of 18 and 48, and symptoms occurred between six and 13 days post vaccination. Okay, so there's something interesting here. First off, let me just be very, very clear. We're talking about roughly six people out of 6.8 plus million that have been vaccinated. So this is not some extraordinary number. And I would be willing to put out there that anytime you're going to have people mass vaccinated like this, there's going to be some error, there's going to be some side effects, there's probably going to be some death. So I am not in any way saying you shouldn't get the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Uh, I have not been vaccinated. If I am to be vaccinated, I actually think I would take, I would prefer to take the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which is sort of an old school vaccine. It's different than the mRNA vaccines that I believe Pfizer and AstraZeneca and one or two of the other ones are putting out there that are sort of newer, that are newer medicine. That's why it takes the two shots and, and people have some concerns about that stuff. Uh, but the vaccine from Johnson & Johnson is more the old school, it's one shot and you're out, a little more like a, like a flu shot. That being said, there are obviously some issues here. And the only reason I wanted to do this story is not that you should all freak out about it or worry about it really, but it's like we should be able to talk about these things. And when we were looking at the stories this morning, I was looking about eight or 10 different stories and it's like, Ah, you know, if you don't talk about this, if people see the headline and then it's like, ah, oh, but nobody's really talking about it, then it starts festering a little bit more, right? That whole sun, sunshine is the best disinfectant thing. Uh, so I just wanna put that out there. But then, you know, there's something else interesting going on and we're gonna show you some video in just a second from Jen Psaki at the White House uh, because they are really going heavy on this PR campaign to make sure that every single person is vaccinated. Now, remember, we're about 15 months off 
roughly of two weeks to flatten the curve. That's what we were told. Now it's every single person has to be vaccinated and vaccine passports that for now will not come from the government. But if you're gonna go to an event or to a bar or to a restaurant or basically anywhere publicly, there's a really good chance that you're gonna need to show your papers in essence. Don't worry, I'm not gonna do my German accent for this one today. Um, so, you know, if the government is sort of giving guidelines that then private companies are doing, and then we all have to have this passport, well, I think there's an interesting debate about what type of uh, infringement of our right to privacy that is. And unfortunately, as you guys know, these are not the types of debates that you're gonna see anywhere in mainstream media. I would love to talk to people on both sides of the debate related to privacy, related to vaccines and all that. Uh, but what in what's interesting right now is that there are an awful lot of people in the United States that do not want to take the vaccine. And there's an awful lot of people all over the world that do not want to take the vaccine. Some of them have had COVID, so they believe they have the antibodies. Some of them are young and healthy, so they don't believe that they're at risk. Some of them don't like the idea of taking, you know, one of say four vaccines that were relatively rushed out to market very quickly. And the mRNA stuff is pretty new. So everyone's entitled to have their own fears and, and concerns and all of those things. But the White House is going very heavy on uh, you know, pushing the idea that we should all be vaccinated. And uh, well, you can already see who they're gonna blame if people don't get vaccinated. Let's take a look. Also investing $3 billion to states and community-based organizations to th strengthen vaccine confidence in the highest risk and hardest hit communities. And often people uh, think of that as just black and brown communities, and that is not. As you've noted, that is also conservative communities, white evangelicals. It's a range of communities around the country. What we found to be most effective is to work with these local organizations. So faith-based organizations, community health organizations, civic leaders, and others who can really get this message deeply uh, in communities. We've also had a number of our um, members of our COVID team from Dr. Fauci and, uh, for, and Dr. Collins uh, participate, as an example, participate in a range of media interviews. You know, an example is Dr. Collins participated in the 700 Club. Dr. Nunez-Smith hosted a Faith Leaders Roundtable. Uh, we're also looking for, we've run PSAs on the deadliest catch. We're engaged with NASCAR and country music TV. We're looking for a range of creative ways to get directly connected to white conservative communities. We won't always be the best messengers, but we're still trying to meet people where they are, but also empower local organizations. Man, I really don't like her. Um, okay, there's a bunch of stuff there. First off, you can see what she did there. We're, we wanna go to these communities and it's not just black and brown. She was really focusing on white evangelical and the implication is somehow that these people, and it's sort of what she's really trying to say is Trump supporters sort of don't want this. And what are we gonna do? We're gonna go to NASCAR. We're gonna be on Deadliest Catch. They went on the 700 Club. So I wanna be very, very clear right now. Uh, I can't tell you that I like you, Jen Psaki. That's obvious that I don't. But if you are watching this or anyone at the administration, I will gladly have Fauci on. I will gladly have one of the other doctors that you mentioned. And I would like to talk about this stuff and I will do it with no notes and we can air it live. Um, but this, this is very weird. I mean, this, you can see the way they're framing things right now. It's going to be these people, these white evangelicals, and also the way they, the way they racialize everything. And this is how the anti-racists become the racists. The idea of getting vaccinated or not vaccinated or the efficacy of the vaccines or any of that stuff has nothing to do with race. Now, there are plenty of people in the black community, I hate, I hate saying community related to the gay community as if it's a monolith, but there are plenty of black people who have 
reservations about vaccines because of things that have been done in the past. There are plenty of white people for whatever reason might not want to do vaccines. And I thought it was sort of that my body, my choice thing. Wasn't that a, wasn't that a thing that the left was always telling us, my body, my choice? But it doesn't really sound like that's what they mean anymore. Now it's your body, our choice, right? Because you're all gonna have to take this vaccine. Again, that's not me sitting here as an anti-vaxxer. Although I did watch uh, I Am Legend uh, a couple days ago, and it turns out that the vaccine that they gave everybody turned everybody into zombies. And it did not work out well for Will Smith. Anyway, I just think it's it's worth noting some of this stuff that they're they're sort of just framing things right now. Like they're setting us up to be like, oh, we're gonna need lockdowns again. June's gonna roll by and lockdown time. And why do we need it? Those white evangelicals, you know, those Christians in the middle of the country, those NASCAR Christians who watch Deadliest Catch, or dare watch the Rubin Report. You know, those guys, they're the ones. So we gotta lock, the, we gotta lock them down. Lock it down, people, we're locking it down. All right, I think you got my point. Guys, let's talk about ladder. You know, if 2020 has taught us anything, it's that life is unpredictable and no matter how well prepared we are, there are certain things like pandemics and lockdowns that you just don't see coming. When you combine that uncertainty with the rising cost of living, especially here in California, and new expenses like buying a house, which I did last year, it becomes clear that you don't wanna risk leaving your spouse or kids with a huge financial burden. On that note, it makes sense why people get life insurance, especially term coverage, which is surprisingly affordable. Why not pay a bit each month to protect the ones you love? If you're asking this question, choose Ladder. Ladder makes it impressively fast and easy to get covered. You need just a few minutes and a phone or a laptop to apply. Ladder's smart algorithms work in real time, so you'll find out instantly if you're approved. No hidden fees, cancel any time. And since life insurance costs more as you age, now's the time to cross it off your list. So check out Ladder today to see if you're instantly approved. Go to ladder.com slash Ruben. That's L-A-D-D-E-R, life.com slash Ruben, ladderlife.com slash Ruben. And now back to me. All right, so the big story obviously right now is what's happening in Brooklyn Center and it's it's basically on fire and there's been just absolute mass destruction. You know, the meme out there is no justice, no peace. And you know, as I said before, it's like, well, what would justice mean if you think the entire system is evil? What they mean is no justice because we're perpetually uh, not gonna give you peace. There's no justice, there's no there there. There is, the justice is an amorphous idea. We can never truly get justice or maybe they just have to, you know, Thanos and kill half of us or, or something like that. So what, what sparked all this is the police shooting of Dante Wright. We showed you the video yesterday. He was pulled over for a traffic violation. I, I You know, at some level I hate getting into the minutia of all of these things because sometimes it doesn't even matter because it's much more about the narrative. But just so that you guys watching this know, if you wanna watch our video from yesterday, he was pulled over for a traffic violation. It turned out that he had an outstanding warrant. They tried to arrest him. He resisted arrest. He broke free. He got into the car. The officer, who was a female, a 26-year veteran, she apparently thought she was grabbing her taser and she's yelling, taser, taser, taser. But she grabbed her gun. That's for up to other people to figure out if she made a mistake or if she lied, blah, blah, blah. You, it does sound like she's very uh, upset when she realizes, I think she says, I shot him or, or something to that effect. Uh, he drives away, he, he ended up diving, well, uh, dying. In the last, I think, hour or so, it has now turned out that the police chief, who we read a quote from him yesterday, where he said that he believed 
that she had accidentally pulled out the gun, not the taser. The police chief has now stepped down and the officer, I believe is on leave or she has stepped down. She's either on leave or she has stepped down as well. Uh, we've got a quote here uh, from the post-millennial and this is now related to all of the rioting because we're gonna show you a couple of videos in just a moment and you know the rioting no matter what happens i mean this is this is i know i know most of you guys watching this know this but it, we need this to be sort of like a wider idea throughout society even if even if something horrific happens even if cops do something that is absolutely crystal clear 100% wrong you can't take justice into your own hands. Like we all can't be Batman, right? And we all can't also be the guy, the other guy, the Joker, right? Like what did the Joker wanna do? The Joker just wanted the world to burn. And if you think all these people that are ransacking all of these stores and burning down buildings and attacking people on the streets and there's a really crazy video, I didn't even wanna play it today, of a bunch of people chasing people, screaming they're trying to find white people to, to beat up and potentially worse. If any of that, if you think any of that's gonna bring you justice, make the system better, make your community better, you're, you're really misguided and you're being used by forces that probably you don't understand. Probably that I don't understand actually, probably that, that very few of us understand. Um, but you know, we've also seen the corporatization of all of this where these corporations keep donating to all of these causes like BLM and then we do GoFundMes to get Antifa people out and, and it never works. And that now brings us to this piece uh, about Foot Locker. Uh, this is from the Post Millennial. Back in June of 2020, CEO Richard Johnson of Foot Locker penned a letter committing the company to $200 million over the next five years to fight racial injustice. This news was perhaps lost on those who were looting Foot Locker's stores on Sunday night. Uh, let me just give you one other quote and then we're gonna show you the video of that. This is from CEO Foot Locker, Richard Johnson. We stand resolute in our commitment to fight racial inequality and injustice. This commitment extends beyond words. It is part of our culture and the way we operate as an inclusive and diverse organization. We recognize that black culture plays a pivotal role in shaping sneaker culture, the foundation of our business at Foot Locker Inc. We believe that we have an obligation to add our voice and actions to drive meaningful and lasting change across our company and within the communities we serve. Today we are announcing that Foot Locker is committing $200 million over the next five years towards enhancing the lives of our team members and our customers in the black community. And now let's take video from last night, looters showing their appreciation to Foot Locker. Okay, so do you see what's going on here and why I wanna do this story? Here's a company that says, we're gonna donate $200 million. That ain't chump change to diversity, to inclusion stuff, to BLM, the rest of it. We believe that what, what we do in, in selling sneakers is relevant to the black community and black culture, which it absolutely is. There's no doubt about it. By the way, I buy most of my, I haven't bought sneakers in a long time because nobody goes anywhere anymore. But over the years, I bought many, many sneakers, tons of basketball shoes at Foot Locker, okay? So I have no problem with Foot Locker. 
I actually like Foot Locker, generally speaking. But here's what Foot Locker did as a company. They said, okay, we will put $200 million to this stuff, to this amorphous stuff, and, and we're gonna stop racism and the rest of it, which we all know is just nonsense. It's just sort of this giant protection racket, except the protection ain't coming. So do you think any of those rioters care? Do you think anyone was out there and was like, guys, guys, hold up, hold up, guys, not Foot Locker. Not Full Locker, CEO Johnson uh, donated $200 million. Let's not go to Full Locker, go next door to Athlete's Foot. Or what's another shoe store? Give me another shoe store. Athlete's Foot, that, what? Journeys. Journeys, <laughs> Journeys, that's pretty white. That's pretty white, a lot of skater shoes in there. Like, let's go to Journeys, guys, and take that out. No, the point is, they don't care. These people don't care. They want to destroy things. And it's, it's a very odd match made in hell where we have corporations on the same side of the people that are destroying the corporations. And then of course we know that, you know, all of these companies bring in diversity inclusion uh, departments and HR teams who destroy it from the inside. So they get destroyed from the inside by focusing on diversity and inclusion and people's skin color instead of making the best shoe. And then on the outside, they have the people who they claim they're helping. We're giving you guys 200 million for that stuff that you really care about. Please don't take out our store, go over to Journeys. All those skater shoes, those skater punks, most of them are white and nobody cares. So it, it's a real problem here and we're just gonna see more and more of this. And you know, it's also consistent with sort of what we've seen over the last couple of weeks, you know, with the, with the Georgia voting law and Coca-Cola, you know, condemning it and you know, MLB condemning it and it's like, you know, okay, so people in Georgia shouldn't have to have an ID to vote, but like if you go to the Coca-Cola office, guess what, if you wanna take a meeting with the CEO, first off, you're not getting that meeting. Secondly, yeah, they're gonna to wanna to see your ID. Or CNN in Atlanta condemning it, you know, you know, pushing the idea that the voting law is racist. And it's like, yeah, can I get walk over to CNN headquarters in Atlanta and just, hey, uh, Zucker, Jeff Zucker, want a meeting with you? Are they gonna let me up the elevator and walk me right into his office and everything else? Of course not. So all of these people are playing footsie with something that is in essence gonna destroy them. And it, and it is, it ain't good, it ain't pretty people. Uh, all right, let's do the third story today because this is close to my heart because in many ways, the, the prime Simpsons of 1989, I remember, I remember watching 1989, Sunday nights, The Simpsons. It was originally part of the Tracy Ullman show as a tiny little skit. I was 12, 13 years old, and I remember thinking it was the funniest freaking thing ever. I could not believe that something was so funny. And then of course it became The Simpsons TV show, I think in 1990, and now it has been on air basically forever, 31, 32 years. But you take Simpsons like seasons one to seasons eight, and it's comedy perfection. That's what it was. And now The Simpsons has sort of become a joke in a Simpsons episode. Like they've become sort of the big giant corporate thing that they always made fun of over the years. Uh, but Hank Azaria, who voices about 20, 30 characters on the show, did we get the number on that? Uh, oh, he does 12 reoccurring characters and more, and plenty more one-off voices. So 12 reoccurring characters. And I think he's probably the best voiceover guy that we have in the entire country. I mean, the guy's just phenomenal. Uh, he also played a very, very gay guy in the birdcage, and he hasn't apologized for that. Remember, he was the very gay chef in the house with uh, Robin Williams and the other gay guy, and I don't think he's gay, but he played the gay chef, the, the house boy. It was very upsetting to the gay community. Um, <laughs> so anyway, he is apologizing for uh, playing Apu. 
not apologizing for playing the gay guy in the birdcage, but he is apologizing for playing Apu. Now, Apu, before I get into this quote from the Daily Wire, the, Apu is probably the hardest working and one of the most beloved characters in the entire Simpsons. Everyone in the Simpsons is deeply flawed and screwed up and all of these things. I mean, think about any of the characters. And by the way, they're almost all ridiculous stereotypes. Bumblebee Man, right? Krusty the Clown. These are all ridiculous stereotypes, okay? Um, groundskeeper Willie, okay? <laughs> like, have you seen the show, people? Um, but Apu is actually slightly different because Apu is basically the hardest working guy in the entire town, right? He's busting his butt at Quickie Mart in Springfield. He, because of Apu, they did episodes on Hinduism and veganism and they had an Indian wedding. Um, they, they did an entire episode, you know, the Who Needs the Quickie Mart song, one of the best songs in the history of The Simpsons, was an episode where Homer was anti-immigration and then after becoming friends with Apu, he becomes pro-immigration. So this is what the fabric of America is all about and done through comedy and through cartoons. It's a beautiful thing. Apu is a beautiful character. He's friends with Homer, does a lot of stuff with him. They were in a barbershop quartet, need I go on? But now Apu is being canceled by Hank Azaria himself. Now, first I'm gonna show you a quote. This is from June of 2020, because this has been a long time coming. So there's a, here's a piece that they did in the Daily Wire. The Simpsons, America's longest running animated TV show, will stop allowing white actors to voice non-white characters in future episodes. So this has been you know coming for a couple months. And now Hank Azaria was on a, a podcast just in the last week or so, and here's what he said. I was speaking at my son's school. I was talking to the Indian kids there because I wanted to get their input. A 17-year-old, he's never even seen The Simpsons, but knows what Apu means. It's practically a slur at this point. All he knows is that this is how his people are thought of and represented to many people in this country. I really do apologize, it's important. I apologize for my part in creating that and participating in that. Part of me feels like I need to go to every single Indian person in this country and personally apologize, and sometimes I do. I mean, that is a load of pathetic, woke bullshit if I've ever heard it. Now, Hank Azari makes $300,000 an episode, that's $6.6 .6 million a year to do 12 voices, including Apu. He's worth roughly $90 million. And by the way, I don't think Hank Azaria is a bad guy. I think I actually met him once at, a, at some Hollywood party years ago for two seconds. I don't think he's a bad guy, but he's, he's playing footsie with the thing that will destroy him. And now he has to bow forever. And you all know how this script goes. You're supposed to stand up to it like Gina Carano, not bow to it like this. But you know, Hank, if you're watching, and you're you know, apologizing to all the Indian people I know. I, I have at least two good friends who are Indian and I know plenty of other Indian people. You wanna share some of that dough with them? Because an apology is one thing, but we all know this is really an extortion racket, which is why the head of BLM is buying $5 million worth of houses as we covered yesterday. So how about if you've got roughly 90 million bucks, I mean, I don't know, I don't know how many, how many Indian people do we have in America? I mean, let's do some math here and figure out how much money you could give to each Indian person for the amount of racism that you've created, even though Apu is a wonderful character who has done all of those things. So uh, uh, there are 2.7 million Indians in the United States. You've got 90 million bucks. So if we just divide that, you know, we say 2.7, we'll say it's three. I mean, you can give some money to these people. That, that's, that's pretty good, man. You know, like that, we should be doing it. Oh, Hank. 
Hank, if you're watching, don't apologize. And you guys never apologize because it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. You know, I, I did a story a couple years ago before we were doing this direct-to-camera show, but we covered it in, in an interview format about how um, Seth MacFarlane, who created Family Guy, that they suddenly announced after years they're not gonna do gay jokes anymore. Now, I don't watch The Simpsons anymore, and I don't watch Family Guy anymore. I, I don't even have cable, so I don't even know how you would watch those things, and I don't think young people care about these things, which is why um, Hank Azaria is telling you that his son's 17-year-old friend doesn't even watch The Simpsons. But you know, uh, Seth MacFarlane basically said, we're not gonna do gay jokes anymore. It's like, you made a shit ton of money. I am sure Seth MacFarlane is worth more than $100 million. You made fun of gay people, you made fun of gay people with AIDS, you made fun of all of these, you made fun of black people, you made fun of Jews, you made fun of Christians, you made fun of Muslims, you did all of this stuff. And by the way, that makes us all American. But when we pick groups that we don't make fun of, or things that we don't draw, or ideas that we don't talk about, because certain people might get upset, then we actually compartmentalize ourselves and do something very reverse the American dream. And, and in many ways, guys, that is what is up for debate right now. Is the American dream still something worth saving or should we all become fearful, self-canceling, little weasel freaks? I think you know which side of that I'm on. Uh, and I also know what side of it my guest this week, Nick Gillespie, Nick, Nick Gillespie, Nick Gillespie, I guess in some ways, it, my, uh, you keep calling him Gillespie, that's why I said it. Uh, Nick Gillespie from Reason Magazine, part one of my interview with him, who's completely against cancel culture, and he was the guy sitting next to that ridiculous former senator, Heidi Heitkamp, as she called Gina Carano racist and a Nazi and a white supremacist on Real Time with Bill Maher, so we dive into that and much more. You can get part one on YouTube right now. The full episode is up ad-free as always at rubenreport.locals.com. And we are gonna do a Friday panel this week on race and policing because obviously that issue is not going on, uh, well, it ain't going anywhere anytime soon, unfortunately. Uh, Brandon, Brandon Tatum, my friend and, and former guest, several time guest, will be on the show. Mike the Cop, who's big on the YouTube, and Elijah Schaefer, who I've had on uh, from The Blaze, will all be on and we'll, we'll unpack what's happening in Minneapolis this week, how that sort of stands to, to set the tone for everything that's going on across the country right now, and we'll see if we can figure out some ways around it. Uh, anyway, I feel, uh, I feel this was a solid program today. We did a little bit of everything. I know that I will uh, look back on it fondly. I hope you will too. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. And don't forget, you can watch my direct messages live on Blaze TV and YouTube every weekday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And of course, if you want to connect with me personally and get early access to my sit-down interviews, join rubenreport.locals.com.